Hello and welcome to Design Untangle with me, Chris Mears, and for once my co-host Carla. It's Yay! been a few episodes uh, since we actually sat together. How are you doing? Very good. Very happy to be here with you. It's the first time we actually do an interview together. Yeah, it's going to be intense. So that is a bit of a giveaway that we are sat with someone else here, which is Ander Braid from Monzo. And you are a UX slash UI designer, or have you got a different kind of uh, title so you prefer? <clears throat> the title that we use at Monzo is product designer, which encompasses UX and UI and basically any form of design that needs work. Yeah, cool. Um, and we kind of spoke to you a year ago, not on the podcast, but on the blog. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But maybe you could give just as an intro a bit of background about who Monzo are for people who don't know. That'd be great. Yeah, so uh, Monzo is a digital bank. Um, we've kind of changed our tagline a few times over the years. Uh, one of them, which I think still resonates quite well, is uh, a bank for people who live their lives on their smartphone. Um, what we are trying to do is build a fantastic banking experience. Um, everyone has a banking horror story at some point in their lives, whether that's kind of waiting two hours on the phone to, to get through to customer support or have your card blocked when you're overseas. Um, and we're trying to eradicate all of that terribleness that um, comes with some of the legacy traditional banks' uh, services and build like a really fantastic modern digital experience, um, a bank that actually cares about its customers. Um, that does yeah. make a change. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys have started more less than a bank really and more like a card that you could top up with money and then spend right that was yeah. the start of monzo absolutely yeah so uh monzo first i think the first came out at the like the end of 2015 um, and the alpha program ran through the start of 2016 um, and what it was was a prepaid card um that you could top up money onto like connected to your your um, other bank account mm -hmm. and spend on that and get kind of insights and obviously instant notifications very similar to the kind of core products that you get with monzo now but now we are a um, full uk current account which means that you get a whole range of different things like once upon a time you can make bank transfers you'll now have your money protected by fscs um and yeah we provide everything that you would expect from a kind of traditional bank account yeah, so I think when we did the interview originally on the blog, you were just kind of starting to roll out those current accounts. Yeah. So yeah. how was that gone? <laughs> um, it was a really painful process for a while. Um, I think like we handled it as well as as well as we could have. Um, well, at least like there are obviously things that could have could have been improved. Um, you could argue that there are lots of more things that we could have planned for in advance, but for for many people here. Um, like starting a bank is a very very big challenge, and there's mm -hmm. so many things you just don't even don't even consider. Um, and so that process of of getting everyone over from the prepaid card to the current account, and not just the actual switch, but also the education and what's happened to this this product that they're using. Yeah. Um, I think that's still ongoing, mm -hmm. but it was a very successful switch over. I can't remember the exact number. I think it was eighty nine percent. Okay. Um, yeah, so a very good. small drop off of people who didn't actually upgrade to the, to the current mm -hmm. account. Um, a painful few months, but once it was over, it's it's been great, and it kind of allowed us then to go like get rid of kind of the the, the shackles that some of the uh, prepaid card had with it, and we've actually really excelled since then. Yeah, I was actually part of that transition process because I, I started with Monzo since you guys launched it because I'm I want to be up to date with all these things. But um, one thing I really liked about that was the the communication process as well, the transparency that you guys always have with mm -hmm. your users. And yeah. I think, I guess, it's one of the key principles of Monzo, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So how, um, how do you actually 
manage that? How do you make decisions on how you communicate to clients and you know when or mm-hmm. who kind of manages that? So we have this uh, phrase, I'm not sure if we coined it or if someone else coined it, maybe it was Stripe or something like that, um, but transparent by default. So you have to make an argument for why something shouldn't be communicated to customers yeah. rather than making an argument in, in, in the reverse. Um, and so that's just, it's, it's kind of always been the, the makeup of the company, that the things we do, we communicate to our, to our customers. We've had a very active, passionate community since day one. Um, that kind of lives on the community forum. Uh, I'm not sure if either of you have ever visited. I've or, had a little poke around, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's, like, community has always been at the heart of, of what we're doing and that connection to our customers. Um, we like to treat people the way we like to be treated and whether that's communicating them when, when something's gone wrong or just generally keeping them informed about what they're doing and that surfaces in the product with kind of instant notifications, like real-time updates, and also through our blog and how we do mm-hmm. like kind of formal communications to, to customers. So could, I'm kind of interested to see like how you deal with maybe when you've released a feature that's maybe not been received quite as well, like how, like how do do you kind of learn that it's not landed quite as well and then how do you react mm-hmm. to that? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, I think like we have a few different layers for when we receive this feedback. Um, the community forum that I mentioned is is, is one of them. Um, for probably about six months now, we've had this new part of the, the Monzo app um, called uh, Monzo Labs mm-hmm. where new features that we're working on that are definitely not finished um, still have some, some polishing to go can be turned on by users so they can try them out um, whilst they're still kind of in their beta version. Um, and that allows us to receive early feedback on things that are slightly broken and very broken. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, again, like being in kind of constant communication with, with customers through our, um, uh, like the in-app chat, which is how we do um, almost all of our customer support, um, and through Twitter and just reaching out and actively um, yeah. uh, talking to, to customers, um, taking on that feedback and um, understanding the changes that we need to make. Obviously, before that, um, before something is actually in the app, we have um, a user research team mm-hmm. um, who we work very closely with um, to ensure that like what we're building is the right thing and how we've like gone about implementing it makes sense for, for, for users. So just, I think it would be interesting for me to know how how does this your role you know as a mm-hmm. product designer right product designer how that what, what is the interaction as you said with the research team is it mm-hmm. a separate team as you said but how do you guys work together and how do you work with products so tell us a little bit more about your mm-hmm. role here and how what's your day to day basically um, so my day to day now is is quite is quite messy. Um, we like as product designers we sort of embed ourselves in the product delivery or product engineering squads so working directly with the product manager and engineers um, to kind of identify the problems with the the product um, and to execute on mm-hmm. solutions um, in terms of how we interact with with um, the research team the we have two user researchers um, and we're looking for more um, but we have two user researchers who are amazing and they also um, like the product designers embed themselves in the product delivery squads um, which means that there's a very close connection and feedback loop um, we have like a few different forms of, of um, user testing the I guess I don't want to say traditional but the, the, the one that um, people kind of point to the most in the company is uh, this thing called Testing Tuesdays, um, 
where um, a product delivery squad will work with um, the research team to put together a testing session that lasts a whole day where they yeah. want to test a feature that they're working on. We will then make decisions based off that going forward about how we actually want to design and, and, and build whatever feature it may be. Are you testing kind of fully well, not fully functional, but at least reasonably fully functional prototypes there? Or are you like yeah. a sketch level? Um, it, it depends. Um, the, the big trade-off with when it's just a sketch or a Marvel prototype um, is that there's a lot that you can't learn because the experience isn't actually how it would be yeah. because you're having to get people to sort of fake tap and it's not their real data. Um, but obviously the trade-off with doing it much later on is that you've invested a lot of time into, into the engineering work to make sure that this prototype can like surface yeah. their real data and and doesn't completely break, um, but it just depends. It depends on the on the project. Um, so we had quite an interesting question, and be good to get your take on about like how you test micro interactions, or even do you test micro interactions? Mm -hmm. So like the effects kind of animation interaction has on the experience. Like I don't really know the answer as to mm -hmm. how valid results you can get in a lab setting for that, but I wonder yeah. if you guys have had any experience playing around with that? Unfortunately not, and I think that we will be doing it more and more over the next like 12 months and just going on in the future. Um, to give some context, until like just over a year ago, there were only three designers in the team. Mm -hmm. uh, there's now 12. Um, and also like a, a year ago, it was like 90 members in the whole company and now it's well over 400. Um, so we've scaled very fast in a short amount of time. Um, but back then, a year ago and in the time since, we've all been like, I wouldn't say it's like stretched thin in the work we need to do, but it's like kind of, it's about speed and making yeah. sure that we're all like executing the the things that we're kind of most, most capable at. And we don't actually have any motion designers in the team until about four weeks ago. Um, so testing things like animations and interactions, mm -hmm. which I think generally we've been pretty poor at. I think um, motion in the Monzo apps, both Android and iOS, is pretty weak. We want to fix that. Um, but only until recently have we been in a position to actually start like moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. So how does, like, because your, your role, as you said, is more like UX, UI role. Mm -hmm. So we've been actually, the, the previous podcast that we talked about was like whether or not you could be good at both. <laughs> like a UI and UX. Yeah. So how in your role, how do you kind of, how do you go um, across these two worlds all the time? Mm -hmm. So I think the way we, we cross over the two worlds is just by not giving any distinction to them. Um, mm -hmm. And we've always done that. Uh, we consider product design to be UX and UI in the sense that it is very hard um, or it's pointless to make something that's very pretty if it has no function. Mm -hmm. If you make something that has a great amount of function but has no form of attractiveness to it, then uh, the likelihood of people wanting and enjoying using it is going to be is going to be much lower. Um, we consider attractiveness bias to be part of kind of our design principles, but we don't um, prioritize it. Uh, function always comes before form, yep. but we tie the two together. Um, we the way we see it is that every uh, designer we hire should be able to own um, a project from end to end and that includes like understanding what problem they're actually trying to solve and formulating the ideas around it, brainstorming mm -hmm. it and working with the engineers, product managers who'll be who'll be building it, um, to ensuring that it is it is built to the highest level of polish um, because that's what we that's what we do. That's our standard. Yeah. So you get kind of the ownership of it from sort of understanding the problem space through to I guess essentially delivering what yeah. the, the end thing is. Absolutely. And we want designers to lead product direction. Yeah. We're very well placed to do it. Um, 
I think it's it is quite hard in a engineering heavy company, and the 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 company historically was like it's built by engineers. Um, our CEO and our CTO are both um, engineers, um, and that's good. It's like it's a good uh, challenge and battle to have mm-hmm. as a as a designer to make sure that the voice of design is heard and that we are pushing through the the right work and making sure that whatever we're doing is the right thing for our for our customers. And how is that design process? Because you guys work on a kind of feature level yeah. and then collaborate. Like you actually sit next to developers. So how does that actually work? Yeah. So so we we try and like physically embed ourselves into their teams. So sit mm-hmm. in the in the team rooms. Um, in terms of design process, we we were talking about this on Monday, and the conclusion we came to is that we don't have a formal design process, and we don't really want to articulate one either. Um, the way I see it is that we have a design purpose. We we exist for a reason in the company. We um, we are here to, as I as I mentioned before, just make sure that whatever we are doing, it is the right thing to do. Um, to take in all the considerations of what the business needs mm-hmm. and what our customers need, um, and to help ensure that they are they are built to the highest the highest standard. Um, but we don't have a formal process for how we go about that, and like I, I know there's lots of different different methods. Um, but we try not to tie ourselves to them. I think if a new designer joined and they had a crazy method, or if it was just I don't know, like from IDEO or whatever it yeah. may be, go for it. If it works for you, do it. But we don't really tie ourselves to any anything formal. So, do you think because Monzo's obviously got quite a strong set of values? I think. Do you think if like the whole team is aligned to those values, you don't really need to sort of micromanage how things are done quite yeah. as much. Yes, I think so. It will be really hard when we yeah. get even bigger though, um, and we're starting to feel the the, the pains of it slightly. Um, not so much in in like the actual design work that's going on, but you can kind of see where things are going to break mm-hmm. in three months, six months, or when the team doubles and triples in size. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what normally happens, isn't it? Once you have bigger teams, the harder to manage. And yeah. um, I'm interested to move a bit away from the app a little bit and understand a bit more how you think about the wider service so some of the stuff where maybe the interaction is not directly through the app so I guess paying in a check maybe at the moment at least is one of those and how you think about what that experience would be like yeah. or is if is the ultimate goal to have literally everything in the app or is there a, mm-hmm. a kind of understanding that some things always will live outside yeah. of that ecosystem yeah so th- our sentiment on this as a company and I think as the designers and products teams that have been working on this has, has changed over time. Um, originally, it was quite a militant. Everything is going to be in the app. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no need for, for checkbooks. There's no need for cash. Like, in, in an ideal world, we wouldn't have those things because, you know, in, in some societies, there is no cash or they're very quickly getting rid of cash from their systems so in Scandinavia, um, particularly. Um, and we kind of had this ideal vision uh, and reality just doesn't play out that way. Um, and by trying to force people into using your products, that, and like in this case, to be digital only, um, to not allow checks being paid in, not allow cash being paid in. These are things we're changing now, like checks yeah. you can actually get paid into Monzo Cash. Uh, we're still working through. Um, it's a slightly like painful process because you have to work mm-hmm. with some like like basically partners that will, that will help you out. Um, but it's, um, it disenfranchises a lot of people um, who rely on those, those systems mm-hmm. to um, to uh, do their banking. Um, if we want to make a product that a billion people can use, we need to open ourselves up to those avenues, even if they are a little bit frustrating for us to have to kind of like open that door and push ourselves through. But long term, I think it's for the best. Do you, um, 
because it's something I've experienced kind of recently on some projects is that because of where we're based like in London you can get a bit of sort of London research bias where you know everyone is using smartphones and digitally savvy and stuff and caches yeah mm -hmm. hate cash use you know smartphones for everything but mm -hmm. once you start kind of venturing further afield you find that that's yeah. not the case as we've just been discussing do you mm -hmm. think that's played any part into that are you guys like how do you recruit your research participants I suppose um so the way we recruit participants um, is through a service that I can't remember the name of. Um, this is taken care of by um, Samantha and Naomi, who mm -hmm. are not user research team. Um, they will be able to give you a fantastic answer. I can give you a really rubbish <laughs> answer. That we basically, like before we do any research um, project, um, before we do any project, we will look into the um, candidates that we would want to talk to, whether they're Monzo, non-Monzo, whether yeah. they've even heard of us, their demographic. Mm -hmm. So we make sure that we are actually, and it's, it, like, it depends on the project we want to get the relevant people for so yeah. we can ask the right questions um, and see where things are breaking. Um, but yes, we have some method of ensuring that it's it's um, the right participants using a tool that I can't remember the name of. Peace <laughs> <laughs> out. Um, when I was um, in my previous job, we did a lot of research on banking because one of my clients was in the banking space. Mm -hmm. And obviously we talked about Monzo quite a lot because big banks are really worried about, you know, little you know, not little, big, uh, new players in the market. So, um, and to your point, the barriers for um, users to actually see Monzo as a bank, we have identified in a piece of research that we did that were higher um, in the sense of they would trust Monzo in the way of a yeah, prepaid card that they can, you know, top up and spend their money and look look at their, obviously, their, their banking behavior and the, the financial behavior, but not necessarily trusting them in uh, kind of putting their full, you know, salary into that. Is that something that you're saying or do you think people are actually moving towards like trusting you as a bank, you know? Yeah, I think it's something that we definitely see. Um, it's one of the main concerns um, for people who aren't comfortable putting their salary in Monzo. Um, I think part of it is a lack of education about whether we're a bank and what the protection that Monzo offers is, and also just some some inertia around like we're we're brand new. They've been yeah. banking with Lloyd's for for sixteen years, and and it's safe. And even if it's a bit rubbish in some ways, it's fine because they can put up with it. They only have to worry about that bank like once a month when their salary gets paid in. Mm -hmm. um, it's like from a from a products perspective, it's also. It's a tricky one to measure because we get like we've been doing a lot of work um, in what's called the main account team to try and increase the amount of people who have their salary paid into Monzo. That's the that's the metric that yeah. we're we're looking at. Um, but it's also a bit of a slow burner um, because even if you do something that even if we introduce a feature that convinces someone to add their salary to Monzo, we don't get that kind of result straight away because we have to wait till the end of the month to see that. And even like alongside that. The, like convincing someone to to move their salary over to Monzo can be like a one month, three month, six month, like four year process, whatever it yeah. may take, because you know people are just slow to do this. It's like when you have a, um, a gas bill that you know is too much, and you could you could get it cheaper if you just called them up and took the time. Um, and it, like switching with Monzo is even easier than calling up British Gas, but you know it's 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 just one of those things that's quite it's a slow burn, um, yeah. and you have to be patient. I'm just curious, like how, so obviously as you know, other similar-ish startups like Revolut, Starling, all that sort of stuff, 
Like, do you see them as competition or is it a more kind of friendly relationship? Because quite often you see one bank will release some feature like Monzo release POTS, for example, and then Revolut will come out with Vaults, which are, mm-hmm. you know, pretty yeah. similar spin on it. So, yeah, I guess, is it a competition between you guys and just trying to sort of out-feature each other? Or is do you see yourselves having sort of distinctly different goals and target audiences? Yeah. So I think there's a few points on that. Um, the first is no. Like, personally, I don't see them as competition. Technically, they are competition because they're operating in the same space. They're doing the same thing. Um, I think it's just like a, it's a foolish game to to target them as as an opposition um, because ultimately, like the real battle is in well, like what we were just saying, convincing the the masses to to move over to to a challenger bank, be willing to 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 try something new. Um, I think that's where the real challenge is. Um, and that's not even necessarily to say that the the legacy banks are, are our competition, but it's more the mindset of the, yeah. the broader population. Um, I also think that it's a very dangerous game to to kind of try to one-up each other on features. Um, if you're only building features that optimize for like like kind of quick wins and um, easy gains of, of user numbers, mm-hmm. then those same users will move over to the next service as soon as they, they have a bigger yeah. feature set. Um, we try and build a product that is cohesive, that um, speaks one language and and um, makes sense from end to end rather than just kind of tacking on features. Um, to be honest, I think we've actually almost been quite bad at that over the last six to nine months because after doing the, the current account rollout, we were finally freed from this really big heavy yeah. project and we're like, right, let's, we've got so much time, let's build stuff. Um, and it's kind of starting to turn into a bit of a Frankenstein with lots of things being tacked on. Um, we're addressing that right now, but kind of back to the original point, I think yeah, there's a danger in just trying to go from feature to feature to feature yeah. and, and kind of, it's such a distraction putting yourself up against, against competition. Um, it stops you from doing your best work and yeah, consumes your mind by looking at what other people in another part of town with another yeah. set of users are doing. So I think, like back to your point, it's making it more acceptable for someone to go to a startup or challenger bank, and in a way, like it's kind of the more reviewed there are, the more normalised it comes, and potentially that barrier goes down. So mm-hmm. yeah, although Absolutely. technically their competition, perhaps as a, a cultural thing, it's a, a positive, I suppose. Yeah. I have a a question. I don't know if it's the right question to ask but how do you balance like the business needs and the user needs and the the, the reason I'm asking this is because um, when you guys launch with the prepaid uh, concept you know the ability to being able to top up your card very quickly and you know to just kind of add money to it and it was very quickly and very easy people love that and I was actually talking to my friends recently about it and they were like yeah that was lovely but where is it now the feature is hidden. It's somewhere else, um, and obviously because that's costing money um, for you, but you guys, obviously every time people do that, it costs them money. So I guess, like from a UX perspective and from a product design perspective, how do you actually balance those decisions? Because obviously you have to provide a great experience because that's what kind of represents Monzo, right? Experience, use of as like community openness. But at the same time, you have to make these decisions of removing uh, features or functionality, or at least hiding it somewhere so people don't use it that much because it's custom money for the business. Yeah, um, it's, it's a massive challenge um, and it will always be a challenge for, for products where, especially when you are, you are either um, VC funded or if you're, you're not in profit. Um, a year ago, we were losing about 65 pounds per customer 
um, which is a lot of money when you have a lot of customers. Um, and if we didn't make quite drastic changes to how kind of how I guess how we operate and how the product functioned um, we would have gone out of business and it does suck having to remove a, a like a really handy feature like a top up what would suck more would be a million people losing their bank account because we messed up and we're not in business anymore um, so I guess like that's kind of the the pull from from both sides um, I think what we've done in the past with these quite scary product decisions is we've spent a long time kind of tiptoeing around them and like trying to make a small change that that we hope will will keep people happy, um, but will kind of improve the metrics. Um, and like to be clear, this is a painful change to make um, because we know that it would would um, dampen the experience for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Um, and then eventually, we just kind of we we do the big scary thing, and we realize it's actually not that bad. There are lots of people, or like there is a, a significant amount of people who are upset about it, and people who are upset generally shout louder than those who are who are happy. Um, but in between this state of like realizing there's a problem and getting to um, okay, we've made a big change that has drastically changed user behavior and also um, our kind of revenue stream or our, our um, margins. Um, we were making iterations and and testing, and it turned out that actually people were able to maintain a great Monzo experience. They were able just to switch over to bank transfers, and we're actually happy with it. Um, and things are actually kind of okay, even if it was even if it was yeah. scary. But there will still be some upset people. Um, I think that's one of the the realities that we've had to deal with, getting bigger and bigger. Um, and it's a reality for any company that, that scales. Um, I remember once upon a time, like when I joined, there was um, four thousand users, um, and for ages, just everyone like really, really liked Monzo. <laughs> not to, not to brag, but like everyone really liked it. It was kind of rare to see, see negative feedback. I know it sounds like a like a douchebag, but then it's rare to see negative <laughs> feedback. And over time, it, it becomes more chronic because that's just that's that's reality. Um, and like how that ties to design is that we will always try and make a solution that works for eighty percent of people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can do that, you're golden. Um, it sounds a lot harder uh, <laughs> than it is, um, but yeah, if you can do that, then then you're fine. And, and the the trade off is that some people will always be be upset. And what we do to support them is kind of having the second line of defense, which is amazing customer support. Yeah, and we work our hardest to ensure that even if something does go wrong in the product. Even if something goes wrong with our service, there will always be a safety net for them, and we will always ensure they are able to, to still use and love Monzo. Yeah, customer service is really like a key point in someone's journey with a product. I think because I've never been really fortunate enough to work for a company where everyone likes their product so much, and that you know when they're calling up to complain or speaking to someone to complain, like that interaction there is either going to leave them happy or you know at the least neutral or in the worst case obviously you know pissed off with the service and never use it again so yeah I think Monzo's focus on customer service is really kind of one of its keys to success really it is amazing it works everywhere as well like owners in Colombia and then did some transactions and they were a bit like wrong and then I got someone right away like answering all the questions so it is amazing yeah and the best thing for me using it is you can send animated gifts to them yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you couldn't imagine doing that to like Lloyd's or HSBC yeah. or something. it's so personal as well like so like it's just a person talking to you like it's mm-hmm. very very personal um, I um, had another question it was more around 
your role as so do you guys have a say on the features that are going to be um, launched like as a design team or is that something that coming from product directly uh, yeah I mean we're working together but yes we, we try and like under like dictate what they will be as a as a group um, it yeah again ties into us being embedded in the team so as a as a um, product delivery squad we will all decide on what gets um, what gets built um, these decisions we try and be kind of autonomous in the teams and mm -hmm. rather than it coming from the top down so like the C level saying we're going to be building this feature in this feature we decide in our squads and, and kind of push it upwards yeah. that makes sense do you guys work like in sprints or something or how do you guys work here not really I think like we've I guess considered it and tried it in the past and probably have like informally worked in sprints um, mm -hmm. depending on the project but we don't have a like kind of a sprint process that, that we follow okay Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, just going back to research a bit, um, how does data feed into kind of your learnings about users yeah. and what direction you take? Um, so we have an amazing data team. We have an amazing data team, an amazing research team, and like marrying them together means that we are like in the best position to make great decisions um, for, for product development, for new features, changing features. Um, I guess you, you could say that they've feed in like later on in the process once the, the feature is actually out there so we can mm -hmm. see how people are using it. Um, this is especially relevant now where we um, make a lot of our product decisions in kind of experimental ways. So we will um, work on a small change, kind of release it as a feature, as an experiment to a small subset of users mm -hmm. um, and see how their behavior changes and see what effect it has on their behavior. Um, and we will take the data from that to make our next decision and jump to the next experiment yeah. and the next experiment so we can essentially learn and expose um, user behavior. Um, even if we do something really bad and it doesn't behave at all how we thought it would, it's still relevant for us to learn um, mm -hmm. and we can make decisions based off of that. Um, but yeah, I would say like marrying data and research together is, is how we kind of form our product direction now yeah. more than more than anything. Obviously, um, in the early days, it was design intuition um, and our understanding and our principles because yeah. that's what you do when you don't have a data team and a research team. You're just, you <laughs> have your knowledge of how this, this should work because we're all good designers. Um, but now the, the kind of like combining those all together puts us in a really good position. Cool. What's one of the most surprising things you've learned from user research that you weren't expecting to hear? Oh my god, okay. uh, so much. <laughs> so, so much. Um, I, I, to be honest, I would say every single time that we've done a session, um, whether it's like a testing Tuesday or sitting in on a phone call, um, it just it kind of blows your mind that you're like, wow, this all of this has just been exposed to me and I haven't yeah. even thought about it in, in that way. Um, and I would say more so towards um, attitudes rather than like how a, a, a feature performs. Mm -hmm. I think like what you learn from someone like tapping through a, a prototype is incredibly useful for making design decisions, but actually understanding how like their approach to yeah. how they handle their money um, and and what they think of, of, of Monzo and the, the bank they currently use, that's the really fascinating stuff mm -hmm. I find um, to get a, a picture of, of who Monzo and non-Monzo customers are. Um, in general, the amount that you learn here about banking um, in your first three weeks is like knowledge you never thought you would have, and it's, it's crazy. Um, and like sitting in on user research, listening to to, to um, testing sessions, and even undertaking testing sessions, um, 
before we had a research team and we would do it really badly as like product <laughs> designers trying to host these sessions. Um, it was fun, but it was it was pretty dodgy. I think um, is yeah is is incredibly fascinating. So I don't think I have one specific example, but I think like in general, learning about people's attitudes towards their money is the is by far the the um, the most curious thing. Yeah, I think money occupies people's thoughts quite a lot. So <laughs> probably quite a lot yeah. of diversification there in terms of how people. Yeah, I think I think that's it. Brings up an interesting point because it puts Monzo when it's someone's bank or if it's their main kind of spending card um, at such a kind of center point of their of their life. Um, mm-hmm. Because even though it's the the money that's in the account that kind of dic- dictates their lifestyle, um, the choices that they make, um, how they plan their future and their present. Uh, Monzo becomes the face of that, yeah. or whatever banking product you're using becomes the face of that, and so there's a far deeper emotional connection, I think, to to um, something in your life than, say, for example, Deliveroo. I love great app, yeah. really, really well designed, but um, potentially doesn't have the same influence on on your lifestyle that that Monzo does. Um, and when I say Monzo, I just mean kind of like the interface <laughs> of of, of, yeah. work, of your money, basically. Yeah. Yeah, because like traditional banks, if you go into your overdraft, for example, like that's already a sort of negative event in your life. And then you find out like a week later that they've charged you 50 quid for that. So it's like a double whammy of pain, (laughs) you know, one caused by the actual event and then, you know, two caused by the actual bank itself. So Something as well that I learned working in banking for a while was um, all banks wanted to copy Manzo on the kind of like showing the user how much you're spending and what etc we tested some of these features with users and even though as a designer you think it's a great thing to give visibility to people or how much you're spending like a lot of users actually saying I don't want to know how much I'm spending because it's just kind of I don't want to know how much money I actually have left (laughs) and it was surprising because you never that's what I'm saying like you Relation, people's relationship with money can be so different depending on personality. So it is it is quite interesting to see all these different reactions, right? Because people might not want to know how much I'm spending. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Absolutely. I hide it as well because I spend way too much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's quite an interesting dilemma though because there's, there's almost like a moral duty that you should be perhaps helping these people manage their money better, but it's not like you may get a negative reaction for doing that. So it's quite interesting from a design point of view, I Absolutely. think. Mm-hmm. I want to ask a question um, that perhaps some of our listeners will be interested in, which would be, um, how did you get a job here? Like, what did you study? Because uh, a lot of people would like to do your job, right? Because <laughs> you, you work in a great company, do yep. an amazing job. So mm-hmm. um, how did you get it? Um, so I never formally studied design. Um, I, at, at like 15 or so, I started designing websites. Um, I thought that was quite fun. And then I designed some, some apps. I don't think any of them ever like made it into existence, but I started like doing kind of digital product design. Um, I then, um, dropped out of high school to move, um, to, uh, to, to Germany, to Berlin, um, to work at a company called Wonderlist, mm-hmm. um, which is a productivity to-do list. Um, and I spent about two and a half years working there. Um, it was great. I loved it. Um, I, I very much missed the team and the products. Um, it was a really cool kind of first real job. Um, and to, to design something for you know like tens of millions of people um, was was an amazing challenge. Um, and then I came back to England, I moved to London, freelance for a few months, um, and I saw on Twitter someone. Um, post a link to this thing called Mondo, uh, getmondo.co.uk, I think was the URL. Um, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. um, and it was like, the website was just this like 
video of, of the app in action um, and saw Carl hiding behind it and I went to the careers page and um, applied for um, the design job as soon as I saw it because uh, at the time I, I was freelancing it was fine but I was like this thing just like kind of immediately ignited excitement in me um, didn't hear back for like a month and I was like oh well whatever it's fine I will move on I'll forget about it um, until yeah um, Hugo who's our head of design emailed me back and then yeah what took him so long? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that, and that was in March 2016. Um, we were 30 people when I joined, mm -hmm. um, much smaller than now. It's like yeah, 400 and something people spread across three different offices. It's been very, very fascinating and amazing to see us grow. Um, it's such a different place in such a good way. Mm. I'd say. Yeah, cool. Um, have you got another question? Yeah, I was gonna. I always ask this question to everyone. So, what do you, what can you, what can uh, advice can you give to yeah, junior designers in terms of like what to read, where, mm -hmm. what you get inspiration from, you know, what blogs or what tools you use? So, some some advice for junior designers mm -hmm. who would like to do your job, and you know, what would you recommend to them? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I think I I shy away from um, suggesting like to watch any one video or any one book because uh, I think different people learn in different ways. Mm -hmm. The one method, method I would suggest which I found very successful early on was just copying other people. Um, all my first design work was just ripping off other people that I would let <laughs> design work on, doing like really terrible versions of, of, of their designs. Um, <laughs> and through, like, through that um, I learned the basics of the tools I was using. Like back then it was, it was GIMP, this design tool, and I switched up to Photoshop and and eventually sketch, but but learning the tools um, to actually be able to kind of like make your ideas and make what you're seeing reality. Um, mm -hmm. From there, learning kind of universal design principles. Um, there are some good books and some good uh, videos, and then things you can you can um, watch, read to, to to learn about those. But I, I actually found that having an understanding of the tools first was really really useful mm -hmm. because it like. It just it gave me so much excitement and, and, and passion because I could actually like these these things I was seeing in my head, these cool things I saw online. I was able to create as well, um, and then that kind of opened a rabbit hole that just led me from like yeah place to place, source of information. Source of information. Started copying people, and now everyone is copying your design. <laughs> <laughs> All banks want to have a monster now. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, Conscious that we've gone over our standard oh, twenty six wow. minutes, oh, okay. so so maybe we can then just like what can we expect from you guys over the the next few months to year, um, if, if you can say. Or, um, yeah, always, always. Um, what I will say is that the current Monzo app was designed to um, to be used as a as a as a prepaid card and to. Um, structured to be um, to service the information of a prepaid card um, it's now not just a, a prepaid card it's a current account and maybe in the future all of your your bank accounts um, we are in the process of rethinking everything mm -hmm. um, and we'll, we'll be sharing some design work of that soon it's really exciting um, I don't want to call it a massive redesign <laughs> it could be maybe it will be a small redesign maybe it'll be some small changes but um, yeah um, that's, some, that's a pretty good teaser, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. Right. Um, got anything else? No, thank no. you very much. Thank yeah. you. Thank really you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we can check in again soon as well Absolutely. and see what's changed <laughs> and see how this major slash minor redesign has, <laughs> has gone down. All right, cool. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you. you. 
Search and subscribe to Design Untangled using your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. Follow us on the web at designuntangled.co.uk or on Twitter at Design Untangled. Become a better designer with online mentoring at uxmentor.me.